welcome to this podcast, which is the last in the firm series on issues arising out of the low oil price environment. In this episode, we will focus on issues affecting our clients in the LNG industry caused by the low oil price. We'll focus on long-term LNG contracts, and in particular on take or pay obligations and potential price reviews. My name is Rachel Lidgate. I'm a partner in the Disputes Division of Herbert Smith Freehills, specialising in disputes in the energy sector. And I'm James Robson, a senior associate in the Disputes Division, focusing on energy disputes. And over the last eight or nine months, that has meant a lot of my work has been working on disputes under long-term LNG contracts. So we'll cover the following points in this podcast. James will talk about some of the immediate issues arising out of the oil price crash and the pandemic more broadly. We'll then both discuss some of the more medium-term consequences before I finish with some thoughts on what the future might hold. James. Thanks, Rachel. So if we're looking at what the immediate reaction to the COVID pandemic was, and if we take ourselves back to March, April and May in this year, many of the conditions which were driving down the oil price were also having a similar impact on the LNG market. There were significant concerns around oversupply, which were compounded by the collapse in demand caused by COVID-19. And the LNG market is, in many ways, particularly susceptible to these unfavourable market conditions. For one thing, it's a lot less liquid than the oil market. For another, LNG is technically far more difficult to store for long periods of time than oil, which means once produced, it needs to be used quickly. And LNG is also often sold, unlike oil, under long-term ex-ship take-or-pay contracts, which contain specific destination clauses and limited diversion rights. And whilst it is certainly true to say the spot market for LNG has grown significantly in recent years, it does not uh, yet at least begin to resemble the market for oil. And the combination of these factors meant that participants in the industry were quickly and uh, carefully reviewing their contractual rights. Most obviously, this meant that buyers and sellers were scrutinising the contractual options that were uh, open to them to deal with the situation which faced them. And that included looking at whether there were diversions to different markets which were available. And there were a number of layers to this. In part, it was an operational question. Were there markets which were physically accepting deliveries of of excess LNG? And the answer to that is that there were some, but there were not many. It was also a contractual question. Were diversions actually permitted under the terms of the contract? And it also became a regulatory question because there has been considerable scrutiny of so-called destination clauses, which prohibit diversions or impose requirements as to specific destinations for deliveries by regulators. For example, the Japan Fair Trade Commission looked at this in 2017. So if the contract did contain restrictions on destinations, were those legal or were they compliant with the relevant markets competition law? Participants were also looking at whether there were cancellation rights for cargoes, and if cargoes couldn't be cancelled outright, could they be deferred? And also, could committed quantities be flexed downwards? And of course, a big question that we were all looking at was whether force majeure was available. And a lot has been written about force majeure in this context. Indeed, we have written quite a lot on the topic. And if you go to the website which accompanies this podcast, you'll find links there to various materials which we've published. 
But rather than focus on FM, Rachel and I today wanted to look at another clause, which has received rather less scrutiny, and that is the take-or-pay clause. And we wanted to focus on that because it strikes us that the take-or-pay clause may become more important if the COVID pandemic worsens or, or changes over the next few months, or demand remains low for other reasons. And we have in mind there's something like a warm winter, which affects Europe or, or Northeast Asia particularly as we are beginning to come towards the end of contract years under these long-term SPAs. And Rachel, do you just want to explain what we mean by a take-or-pay clause in this context? Yes, James. So going back to basics for a moment, in broad terms, a take-or-pay provision requires the buyer to take and pay for a quantity of LNG in a contract year, or otherwise pay an agreed price for any LNG that is not taken. And Historically, these are typically seen as essential in order to finance large greenfield LNG developments. They provide support for the financing, given that the mechanism essentially guarantees a level of project revenues for the duration of the relevant contract. But for those sellers and buyers scrutinising the take or pay provisions in their contracts as a result of the current circumstances, then a number of questions are likely to arise. And just looking at uh, some of those questions, the first one which often comes up is when does the take or pay liability actually accrue? Is it on a cargo by cargo basis or is there a reconciliation at the end of the contract year? Unsurprisingly, cash flow has been a particular concern this year. So a take or pay liability which accrues on a cargo by cargo basis is unlikely to assist with any cash flow problems. But if you have a liability which occurs six or up to 12 months into the future, that might be much more helpful to a buyer. And assuming that a buyer does pay rather than take under the contract, does it obtain an entitlement to uh, make up LNG in those circumstances? And usually in our experience, the answer to that is yes. Although it is true that we have seen some contracts which say specifically that there is no entitlement to make up LNG. But of course, if a buyer is going to obtain nothing in return for paying and not taking, then that is going to be an option of absolute last resort. And assuming that there is an entitlement to make up LNG, another question we look at is what are the stipulations on when the make up LNG can be taken? And also at what price can it be taken? Indeed. And clearly, if a large makeup LNG balance were to accrue on an SPA with, say, 15 years still to run, and that is quite a different situation to a balance accrued on an SPA with only one or two years left to run. And although buyers are usually under an obligation, whether that's a best endeavours obligation or a reasonable endeavours obligation, to take the makeup LNG as soon as possible, if there is only a couple of years left to run, then there will be a question as to what happens at the end of the contract if there is an outstanding balance. And we do regularly see contracts where there is a period of time that can be added on to the end of the contract during which the buyer can still take the outstanding makeup LNG. But then there might be a question as to what happens if the balance is still not zero by the end of that additional period. And as is always the case, the answer to these questions will depend on the specific wording of the individual take or pay contract. And I reflect that we've seen that much like force majeure clauses, although take or pay provisions across contracts may look very similar at first glance, actually, once you get into the weeds of the drafting, they can 
have very different effects. And particularly under English law governed agreements, everything will turn on the precise wording used. So I think that it seems likely that these complexities are at least in part why despite the ubiquity of take or pay clauses in long-term SPAs, in our experience, they are actually rarely invoked in the sense that buyers do not often decide to pay and not take. So moving on to look at the longer term potential response to low oil prices, if the immediate response to the low oil price and the unfavourable market conditions were characterised by contractual or extra contractual quick fixes, such as diversions or deferrals, or simply parties showing forbearance from standing by their contractual rights, we'll go on to consider next what the medium to longer term response might be. And the first question to ask in that context is why a sustained low oil price will matter to long-term energy contracts? And the answer is because the contract price in many such agreements is still linked to oil or oil product prices, usually Brent or Japanese crude cocktail, typically on a three or six month rolling average. And that means that sustained low oil prices since March or April are only relatively recently starting to flow through to the pricing formulae under long term contracts and leading to a lower contract price. As James mentioned, the spot market for LNG is not as developed as that for oil, but there certainly is a spot market and the prices on it have reached record lows. So there has therefore been and may well continue to be a price differential between spot prices and the contract price under long-term oil-indexed SBAs. And one tool that may be available in that context is a contractual right to review the contract price, also known as a price review clause. And again, just going back to basics for a moment, a price review clause is just a contractually agreed mechanism which allows a party to seek to review at the contract price if there are significant market changes which mean that the current contract price no longer reflects the bargain which the parties originally struck. And Rachel and I in this podcast so far have been focusing on the difficulties to buyers that have been caused by the current market conditions and it is certainly possible that buyers will look to trigger price reviews but this is not solely the preserve of the buyer. Either party usually has the right to serve a price review notice. And if the low oil prices are flowing through into a low contract price, which makes production for the seller economically difficult or even uneconomic, then it may be that a price review is actually invoked by the seller. So the extent to which the low oil price will lead to increased price review activity will depend on a number of factors. And the first one is a pure mechanical point, and that is the question of when a party can trigger a price review. Usually that will be after a set period of time that is set out in the contract. In European contracts, it's usually every three or five years. In Asian contracts, every five years or possibly even up to every 10 years. And the parties will be able to trigger a price review after that period if there has been a significant change in the relevant market since the previous price review and the change is out of their control. So if the current market conditions coincide with one of these regular price review windows, then it can potentially be used. And if it doesn't coincide? Well, in that case, sometimes the parties have the right to trigger a, a special price review, which is one that's outside of the regular price review window if certain conditions are met. 
And we find in our experience that the availability of this right varies considerably across contracts. But just broadly speaking, we find it is more common in European LNG contracts and it is less common in Asian LNG contracts. So if the timing is right and a party has a contractual right to commence a price review, that party will then need to consider whether the current circumstances permit it to initiate a price review. And of course, they'll have to consider what the outcome of such a review might be. So once again, the contract will set out the circumstances in which a price review can be triggered and then will normally say what methodology should be used to arrive at a revised price. That methodology tends to be based on changes in the value of the gas or the regasified LNG sold under the contract in the relevant market. But because the whole purpose of a price review clause is to deal with changes in the market which were unforeseeable when the contract was originally entered into, there's quite often uh, deliberate ambiguity in the drafting of such provisions in order to allow flexibility in terms of the type of changes which can be taken into account. And the corollary of that is that there is often scope for disputes. The contract may, for example, direct that an assessment of the change in the value of gas should be conducted by reference to changes in the prices paid by end consumers and the costs of serving them. Alternatively, it might direct you to look at how the contract price compares to the price under comparable contracts. And sometimes those comparable contracts might be defined as contracts from or to a specific market, for example, from Indonesia to Japan, or they could be defined as from or to a broader geographic area, such as into the Asia Pacific region. So putting our thoughts together and looking to the future, the extent to which low oil prices are important in a price review will very much depend on the specific contract and the clause in question. But I think it's very clear that the low oil price circumstances we're experiencing and the broader pressure on prices has created a potential incentive for buyers and sellers to reopen contract prices in long-term contracts where they possibly can do so. And that also includes reopening the very basis on which those prices are formulated. So I said earlier that low oil prices are relevant to long-term energy contracts through the pricing formula because it is often index-linked to oil products. But we have been discussing for years the idea that the move away from oil index linked prices in such contracts has been just around the corner. And indeed, some contracts have moved away from that. And I think now we await with interest to see whether either in new long term LNG SPAs that might be negotiated in the next few years, or indeed as there are price reviews triggered and new prices set or agreed in response to price reviews being triggered, We'll see whether the low oil price environment, the increasing dislocation from the spot market for LNG and the wider reverberations from the pandemic means that parties move away fundamentally from an oil linked approach and decide to negotiate formula based on spot or hub based prices instead. Thanks, Rachel. And that brings the podcast to an end. So thanks to you for listening. And if you've missed any of the other episodes in the series, then they're available on our website, along with a lot of other materials in this area.